Part three of Chapter eleven of Book one of the Wealth of Nations. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Stephen Escalera. The Wealth of Nations by Adam Smith. Part three of Chapter eleven of Book one of the Rent of Land. Digression concerning the variations in the value of silver during the course of the four last centuries. First period. In 1350, and for some time before, the average price of the quarter of wheat in England seems not to have been estimated lower than four ounces of silver, tower weight, equal to about twenty shillings of our present money. From this price it seems to have fallen gradually to two ounces of silver, equal to about ten shillings of our present money, the price at which we find it estimated in the beginning of the sixteenth century, and at which it seems to have continued to be estimated till about 1570. In 1350, being the twenty-fifth of Edward III, was enacted what is called the Statute of Laborers. In the preamble it complains much of the insolence of servants who endeavoured to raise their wages upon their masters. It therefore ordains that all servants and labourers should, for the future, be contented with the same wages and liveries, liveries in those times signified not only clothes, but provisions, which they had been accustomed to receive in the twentieth year of the king and the four preceding years, that, upon this account, their livery wheat should nowhere be estimated higher than ten pence a bushel, and that it should always be in the option of the master to deliver them either the wheat or the money. Ten pence a bushel, therefore, had, in the twenty-fifth of Edward the Third, been reckoned to a very moderate price of wheat, since it required a particular statute to oblige servants to accept of it in exchange for their usual livery of provisions and it had been reckoned a reasonable price ten years before that or in the sixteenth year of the king the term to which the statute refers but in the sixteenth year of edward the third ten pence contained about half an ounce of silver tower weight and was nearly equal to half a crown of our present money four ounces of silver tower weight therefore equal to six shillings and eightpence of the money of those times and to near twenty shillings of that of the present must have been reckoned a moderate price for the quarter of eight bushels this statute is surely a better evidence of what was reckoned in those times a moderate price of grain than the prices of some particular years which have generally been recorded by historians and other writers on account of their extraordinary dearness or cheapness and from which therefore it is difficult to form any judgment concerning what may have been the ordinary price there are besides other reasons for believing that in the beginning of the fourteenth century and for some time before the common price of wheat was not less than four ounces of silver the quarter and that of other grain in proportion in thirteen o nine ralph de borne prior of st augustine's canterbury gave a feast upon his installation day of which william thorne has preserved not only the bill of fare but the prices of many particulars in that feast were consumed first fifty-three quarters of wheat which cost nineteen pounds or seven shillings and twopence a quarter equal to about one and twenty shillings and sixpence of our present money secondly fifty-eight quarters of malt which cost seventeen pounds ten shillings or six shillings a quarter equal to about eighteen shillings of our present money thirdly twenty quarters of oats which cost four pounds or four shillings a quarter equal to about twelve shillings of our present money the prices of malt and oats seem here to lie higher than their ordinary proportion to the price of wheat 
These prices are not recorded on account of their extraordinary dearness or cheapness, but are mentioned accidentally, as the prices actually paid for large quantities of grain consumed at a feast, which was famous for its magnificence. In 1262, being the 51st of Henry III, was revived an ancient statute, called the Assize of Bread and Ale, which, the king says in the preamble, had been made in the times of his progenitors, sometime kings of England. It is probably, therefore, as old at least as the time of his grandfather, Henry II, and may have been as old as the conquest. It regulates the price of bread according as the prices of wheat may happen to be, from one shilling to twenty shillings the quarter of the money of those times. But statutes of this kind are generally presumed to provide with equal care for all deviations from the middle price for those below it as well as for those above it. Ten shillings, therefore, containing six ounces of silver, tower weight, and equal to about thirty shillings of our present money, must, upon this supposition, have been reckoned the middle price of the quarter of wheat when this statute was first enacted, and must have continued to be so in the fifty-first of Henry the Third. We cannot, therefore, be very wrong in supposing that the middle price was not less than one-third of the highest price at which this statute regulates the price of bread, or than six shillings and eightpence of the money of those times, containing four ounces of silver, tower weight. From these different facts, therefore, we seem to have some reason to conclude that about the middle of the fourteenth century, and for a considerable time before, the average or ordinary price of the quarter of wheat was not supposed to be less than four ounces of silver, tower weight. From about the middle of the fourteenth to the beginning of the sixteenth century, what was reckoned the reasonable and moderate, that is, the ordinary or average price of wheat, seems to have sunk gradually to about one-half of this price, so as at last to have fallen to about two ounces of silver, tower weight, equal to about ten shillings of our present money. It continued to be estimated at this price till about 1570. In the household book of Henry, the fifth earl of Northumberland, drawn up in 1512, there are two different estimations of wheat. In one of them it is computed at six shilling and eight pence the quarter, in the other at five shillings and eight pence only. In 1512, six shillings and eight pence contained only two ounces of silver, tower weight, and were equal to about ten shillings of our present money. From the 25th of Edward III to the beginning of the reign of Elizabeth, during the space of more than two hundred years, six shillings and eight pence, it appears from several different statutes, had continued to be considered as what is called the moderate and reasonable, that is, the ordinary or average price of wheat. The quantity of silver, however, contained in that nominal sum was, during the course of this period, continually diminishing in consequence of some alterations which were made in the coin. But the increase of the value of silver had, it seems, so far compensated the diminution of the quantity of it contained in the same nominal sum, that the legislature did not think it worth while to attend to this circumstance. Thus, in 1436, it was enacted that wheat might be exported without a license when the price was so low as six shillings and eightpence, and in 1463, it was enacted that no wheat should be imported if the price was not above six shillings and eightpence the quarter. The legislature had imagined that when the price was so low, there could be no inconveniency in exportation, but that when it rose higher, it became prudent to allow of importation. Six shillings and eightpence, therefore, containing about the same quantity of silver as thirteen shillings and fourpence of our present money, one-third part less than the same nominal sum contained in the time of Edward III, had in those times been considered as what is called the moderate and reasonable price of wheat. 
in fifteen fifty four by the first and second of philip and mary and in fifteen fifty eight by the first of elizabeth the exportation of wheat was in the same manner prohibited whenever the price of the quarter should exceed six shillings and eightpence which did not then contain two penny worth more silver than the same nominal sum does at present but it had soon been found that to restrain the exportation of wheat till the price was so very low was in reality to prohibit it altogether in fifteen sixty two therefore by the fifth of elizabeth the exportation of wheat was allowed from certain ports whenever the price of the quarter should not exceed ten shillings containing nearly the same quantity of silver as the like nominal sum does at present this price had at this time therefore been considered as what is called the moderate and reasonable price of wheat it agrees nearly with the estimation of the Northumberland book in 1512. That in France the average price of grain was, in the same manner, much lower in the end of the 15th and beginning of the 16th century than in the two centuries preceding has been observed both by Mr. Dupre de Saint-Marc and by the elegant author of the Essay on the Policy of Grain. Its price, during the same period, had probably sunk in the same manner through the greater part of Europe this rise in the value of silver in proportion to that of corn may either have been owing altogether to the increase of the demand for that metal in consequence of increasing improvement and cultivation the supply in the meantime continuing the same as before or the demand continuing the same as before it may have been owing altogether to the gradual diminution of the supply the greater part of the mines which were then known in the world being much exhausted and consequently the expense of working them much increased or it may have been owing partly to the one and partly to the other of those two circumstances in the end of the fifteenth and beginning of the sixteenth centuries the greater part of europe was approaching towards a more settled form of government than it had enjoyed for several ages before the increase of security would naturally increase industry and improvement and the demand for the precious metals as well as for every other luxury and ornament would naturally increase with the increase of riches a greater annual produce would require a greater quantity of coin to circulate it and a greater number of rich people would require a greater quantity of plate and other ornaments of silver it is natural to suppose too that the greater part of the mines which then supplied the european market with silver might be a good deal exhausted and have become more expensive in the working they had been wrought many of them from the time of the romans it has been the opinion however of the greater part of those who have written upon the prices of commodities in ancient times that from the conquest perhaps from the invasion of julius caesar till the discovery of the mines of america the value of silver was continually diminishing this opinion they seem to have been led into partly by the observations which they had occasion to make upon the prices both of corn and of some other parts of the rude produce of land and partly by the popular notion that as the quantity of silver naturally increases in every country with the increase of wealth so its value diminishes as its quantity increases in their observations upon the prices of corn three different circumstances seem frequently to have misled them first in ancient times almost all rents were paid in kind in a certain quantity of corn cattle poultry etc it sometimes happened however that the landlord would stipulate that he should be at liberty to demand of the tenant either the annual payment in kind or a certain sum of money instead of it the price at which the payment in kind was in this manner exchanged for a certain sum of money is in scotland called the conversion price as the option is always in the landlord to take either the substance or the price 
it is necessary for the safety of the tenant that the conversion price should rather be below than above the average market price in many places accordingly it is not much above one-half of this price through the greater part of scotland this custom still continues with regard to poultry and in some places with regard to cattle it might probably have continued to take place too with regard to corn had not the institution of public fires put an end to it these are annual valuations according to the judgment of an assize of the average price of all the different sorts of grain and of all the different qualities of each according to the actual market price in every different county this institution rendered it sufficiently safe for the tenant and much more convenient for the landlord to convert as they call it the corn rent rather at what should happen to be the price of the fires of each year than at any certain fixed price but the writers who have collected the prices of corn in ancient times seem frequently to have mistaken what is called in scotland the conversion price for the actual market price fleetwood acknowledges upon one occasion that he had made this mistake as he wrote his book however for a particular purpose he does not think proper to make this acknowledgment till after transcribing this conversion price fifteen times the price is eight shillings the quarter of wheat this sum in fourteen twenty three the year at which he begins with it contained the same quantity of silver as sixteen shillings of our present money but in fifteen sixty two the year at which he ends with it it contained no more than the same nominal sum does at present secondly they have been misled by the slovenly manner in which some ancient statutes of assize had been sometimes transcribed by lazy copiers and sometimes perhaps actually composed by the legislature the ancient statutes of assize seem to have begun always with determining what ought to be the price of bread and ale when the price of wheat and barley were at the lowest and to have proceeded gradually to determine what it ought to be according as the prices of those two sorts of grain should gradually rise above this lowest price but the transcribers of those statutes seem frequently to have thought it sufficient to copy the regulation as far as the three or four first and lowest prices saving in this manner their own labour and judging i suppose that this was enough to show what proportion ought to be observed in all higher places thus in the assize of bread and ale of the fifty-first of henry the third the price of bread was regulated according to the different prices of wheat from one shilling to twenty shillings the quarter of the money of those times but in the manuscripts from which all the different editions of the statutes preceding that of mr ruffed were printed the copiers had never transcribed this regulation beyond the price of twelve shillings several writers therefore being misled by this faulty transcription very naturally conclude that the middle price or six shillings the quarter equal to about eighteen shillings of our present money was the ordinary or average price of wheat at that time in the statute of tumbrel and pillory enacted nearly about the same time the price of ale is regulated according to every sixpence rise in the price of barley from two shillings to four shillings the quarter that four shillings however was not considered as the highest price to which barley might frequently rise in those times and that these prices were only given as an example of the proportion which ought to be observed in all other prices whether higher or lower we may infer from the last words of the statute et sic dein hips crescitur vel diminutur per sex denarios the expression is very slovenly but the meaning is plain enough that the price of ale is in this manner to be increased or diminished according to every sixpence rise or fall in the price of barley in the composition of this statute the legislature itself seems to have been as negligent as the copiers were in the transcription of the other 
in an ancient manuscripts of the regium majestatum an old scotch law book there is a statute of assize in which the price of bread is regulated according to all the different prices of wheat from tenpence to three shillings the scotch bowl equal to about half an english quarter three shillings scotch at the time when this assize is supposed to have been enacted were equal to about nine shillings sterling of our present money mr rudiman seems to conclude from this that three shillings was the highest price to which wheat ever rose in those times and that ten pence a shilling or at most two shillings were the ordinary prices upon consulting the manuscript however it appears evidently that all these prices are only set down as examples of the proportion which ought to be observed between the respective prices of wheat and bread the last words of the statute are you shall judge of the remaining cases according to what is above written having respect to the price of corn thirdly they seem to have been misled too by the very low price at which wheat was sometimes sold in very ancient times and to have imagined that as its lowest price was then much lower than in later times its ordinary price must likewise have been much lower they might have found however that in those ancient times its highest price was fully as much above as its lowest price was below anything that had ever been known in later times thus in twelve seventy fleetwood gives us two prices of the quarter of wheat the one is four pounds sixteen shillings of the money of those times equal to fourteen pounds eight shillings of that of the present the other is six pounds eight shillings equal to nineteen pounds four shillings of our present money no price can be found in the end of the fifteenth or beginning of the sixteenth century which approaches to the extravagance of these the price of corn though at all times liable to variation varies most in those turbulent and disorderly societies in which the interruption of all commerce and communication hinders the plenty of one part of the country from relieving the scarcity of another in the disorderly state of england under the plantagenet who governed it from about the middle of the twelfth till towards the end of the fifteenth century one district might be in plenty while another at no great distance by having its crop destroyed either by some accident of the seasons or by the incursion of some neighbouring baron might be suffering all the horrors of a famine and yet if the lands of some hostile lord were interposed between them the one might not be able to give the least assistance to the other under the vigorous administration of the tudors who governed england during the latter part of the fifteenth and through the whole of the sixteenth century no baron was powerful enough to dare disturb the public security the reader will find at the end of this chapter all the prices of wheat which have been collected by fleetwood from twelve o two to fifteen ninety seven both inclusive reduced to the money of the present times and digested according to the order of time into seven divisions of twelve years each at the end of each division too he will find the average price of the twelve years of which it consists in that long period of time fleetwood has been able to collect the prices of no more than eighty years so that four years are wanting to make out the last twelve years i have added therefore from the accounts of eton college the prices of fifteen ninety eight fifteen ninety nine sixteen hundred and sixteen o one it is the only addition which i have made the reader will see that from the beginning of the thirteenth till after the middle of the sixteenth century the average price of each twelve years grows gradually lower and lower and that towards the end of the sixteenth century it begins to rise again the prices indeed which fleetwood has been able to collect seem to have been those chiefly which were remarkable for extraordinary dearness or cheapness and i do not pretend that any very certain conclusion can be drawn from them 
So far, however, as they prove anything at all, they confirm the account which I have been endeavouring to give. Fleetwood himself, however, seems, with most other writers, to have believed that, during all this period, the value of silver, in consequence of its increasing abundance, was continually diminishing. The prices of corn, which he himself has collected, certainly do not agree with this opinion. They agree perfectly with that of Mr. Dupree de Saint-Mont, and with that which I have been endeavouring to explain. Bishop Fleetwood and Mr. Dupree de Saint-Mont are the two authors who seem to have collected, with the greatest diligence and fidelity, the prices of things in ancient times. It is somewhat curious that, though their opinions are so very different, their facts, so far as they relate to the price of corn at least, should coincide so very exactly. It is not, however, so much from the low price of corn, as from that of some other parts of the rude produce of land, that the most judicious writers have inferred the great value of silver in those very ancient times. Corn, it has been said, being a sort of manufacture, was in those rude ages much dearer in proportion than the greater part of other commodities. It is meant, I suppose, than the greater part of unmanufactured commodities, such as cattle, poultry, game of all kinds, etc., that in those times of poverty and barbarism these were proportionably much cheaper than corn is undoubtedly true. But this cheapness was not the effect of the high value of silver, but of the low value of those commodities. It was not because silver would in such times purchase or represent a greater quantity of labor, but because such commodities would purchase or represent a much smaller quantity than in times of more opulence and improvement. Silver must certainly be cheaper in Spanish America than in Europe in the country where it is produced, then in the country to which it is brought, at the expense of a long carriage both by land and by sea, of a freight and an insurance. One and twenty pence halfpenny sterling, however, we are told by Ulloa, was, not many years ago, at Buenos Aires, the price of an ox chosen from a herd of three or four hundred. Sixteen shillings sterling, we are told by Mr. Byron, was the price of a good horse in the capital of Chile in a country naturally fertile but of which the far greater part is altogether uncultivated cattle poultry game of all kinds etc as they can be acquired with a very small quantity of labour so they will purchase or command but a very small quantity the low money price for which they may be sold is no proof that the real value of silver is there very high but that the real value of those commodities is very low labor it must always be remembered and not any particular commodity or set of commodities is the real measure of the value both of silver and of all other commodities but in countries almost waste or but thinly inhabited cattle poultry game of all kinds etc as they are the spontaneous productions of nature so she frequently produces them in much greater quantities than the consumption of the inhabitants requires in such a state of things the supply commonly exceeds the demand in different states of society, in different states of improvement, therefore, such commodities will represent or be equivalent to very different quantities of labor. In every state of society, in every stage of improvement, corn is the production of human industry. But the average produce of every sort of industry is always suited, more or less exactly, to the average consumption, the average supply to the average demand. In every different stage of improvement, besides, the raising of equal quantities of corn in the same soil and climate will, at an average, require nearly equal quantities of labor, or, what comes to the same thing, the price of nearly equal quantities. 
the continual increase of the productive powers of labor in an improved state of cultivation being more or less counterbalanced by the continual increasing price of cattle the principal instruments of agriculture upon all these accounts therefore we may rest assured that equal quantities of corn will in every state of society in every stage of improvement more nearly represent or be equivalent to equal quantities of labour than equal quantities of any other part of the rude produce of land corn accordingly it has already been observed is in all the different stages of wealth and improvement a more accurate measure of value than any other commodity or set of commodities in all those different stages therefore we can judge better of the real value of silver by comparing it with corn than by comparing it with any other commodity or set of commodities corn besides or whatever else is the common and favourite vegetable food of the people constitutes in every civilised country the principal part of the subsistence of the labourer in consequence of the extension of agriculture the land of every country produces a much greater quantity of vegetable than of animal food and the labourer everywhere lives chiefly upon the wholesome food that is cheapest and most abundant butcher's meat except in the most thriving countries or where labour is most highly rewarded makes but an insignificant part of his subsistence poultry makes a still smaller part of it and game no part of it in france and even in scotland where labour is somewhat better rewarded than in france the labouring poor seldom eat butcher's meat except upon holidays and other extraordinary occasions the money price of labour therefore depends much more upon the average money price of corn the subsistence of the labour than upon that of butcher's meat or of any other part of the rude produce of land the real value of gold and silver therefore the real quantity of labour which they can purchase or command depends much more upon the quantity of corn which they can purchase or command than upon that of butcher's meat or any other part of the rude produce of land such slight observations however upon the prices either of corn or of other commodities would not probably have misled so many intelligent authors had they not been influenced at the same time by the popular notion that as the quantity of silver naturally increases in every country with the increase of wealth so its value diminishes as its quantity increases this notion however seems to be altogether groundless the quantity of the precious metals may increase in any country from two different causes either first from the increased abundance of the mines which supply it or secondly from the increased wealth of the people from the increased produce of their annual labour the first of these causes is no doubt necessarily connected with the diminution of the value of the precious metals but the second is not when more abundant mines are discovered a greater quantity of the precious metals is brought to market and the quantity of the necessaries and conveniencies of life for which they must be exchanged being the same as before equal quantities of the metals must be exchanged for smaller quantities of commodities so far therefore as the increase of the quantity of the precious metals in any country arises from the increased abundance of the mines it is necessarily connected with some diminution of their value when on the contrary the wealth of any country increases when the annual produce of its labour becomes gradually greater and greater a greater quantity of coin becomes necessary in order to circulate a greater quantity of commodities and the people as they can afford it as they have more commodities to give for it will naturally purchase a greater and a greater quantity of plate the quantity of their coin will increase from necessity the quantity of their plate from vanity and ostentation or from the same reason that the quantity of fine statues pictures and of every other luxury and curiosity is likely to increase among them 
but as statuaries and painters are not likely to be worse rewarded in times of wealth and prosperity than in times of poverty and depression so gold and silver are not likely to be worse paid for the price of gold and silver when the accidental discovery of more abundant mines does not keep it down as it naturally rises with the wealth of every country so whatever be the state of the mines it is at all times naturally higher in a rich than in a poor country gold and silver like all other commodities naturally seek the market where the best price is given for them and the best price is commonly given for everything in the country which can best afford it labor it must be remembered is the ultimate price which is paid for everything and in countries where labor is equally well rewarded the money price of labor will be in proportion to that of the subsistence of the laborer but gold and silver will naturally exchange for a greater quantity of subsistence in a rich than in a poor country in a country which abounds with subsistence than in one which is but indifferently supplied with it if the two countries are at a great distance the difference may be very great because though the metals naturally fly from the worse to the better market yet it may be difficult to transport them in such quantities as to bring their price nearly to a level in both if the countries are near the difference will be smaller and may sometimes be scarce perceptible because in this case the transportation will be easy china is a much richer country than any part of europe and the difference between the price of subsistence in china and in europe is very great rice in china is much cheaper than wheat is anywhere in europe england is a much richer country than scotland but the difference between the money price of corn in those two countries is much smaller and is but just perceptible in proportion to the quantity or measure scotch corn generally appears to be a good deal cheaper than english but in proportion to its quality it is certainly somewhat dearer scotland receives almost every year very large supplies from england and every commodity must commonly be somewhat dearer in the country to which it is brought than in that from which it comes english corn therefore must be dearer in scotland than in england and yet in proportion to its quality or to the quantity and goodness of the flour or meal which can be made from it it cannot commonly be sold higher there than the scotch corn which comes to market in competition with it the difference between the money price of labor in china and in europe is still greater than that between the money price of subsistence because the real recompense of labor is higher in europe than in china the greater part of europe being in an improving state while china seems to be standing still the money price of labor is lower in scotland than in england because the real recompense of labor is much lower scotland though advancing to greater wealth advances much more slowly than england the frequency of immigration from scotland and the rarity of it from england sufficiently prove that the demand for labor is very different in the two countries the proportion between the real recompense of labor in different countries it must be remembered is naturally regulated not by their actual wealth or poverty but by their advancing stationary or declining condition gold and silver as they are naturally of the greatest value among the richest so they are naturally of the least value among the poorest nations among savages the poorest of all nations they are scarce of any value in great towns corn is always dearer than in remote parts of the country this however is the effect not of the real cheapness of silver but of the real dearness of corn it does not cost less labor to bring silver to the great town than to the remote parts of the country but it costs a great deal more to bring corn in some very rich and commercial countries such as holland and the territory of genoa corn is dear for the same reason that it is dear in great towns 
they do not produce enough to maintain their inhabitants they are rich in the industry and skill of their artificers and manufacturers in every sort of machinery which can facilitate and abridge labour in shipping and in all the other instruments and means of carriage and commerce but they are poor in corn which as it must be brought to them from distant countries must by an addition to its price pay for the carriage from those countries it does not cost less labour to bring silver to amsterdam than to danzig but it cost a great deal more to bring corn the real cost of silver must be nearly the same in both places but that of corn must be very different diminish the real opulence either of holland or of the territory of genoa while the number of the inhabitants remains the same diminish their power of supplying themselves from distant countries and the price of corn instead of sinking with that diminution in the quantity of their silver which must necessarily accompany this declension either as its cause or as its effect will rise to the price of a famine when we are in want of necessities we must part with all superfluities of which the value as it rises in times of opulence and prosperity so it sinks in times of poverty and distress it is otherwise with necessaries the real price the quantity of labour which they can purchase or command rises in times of poverty and distress and sinks in times of opulence and prosperity which are always times of great abundance for they could not otherwise be times of opulence and prosperity corn is a necessary silver is only a superfluity whatever therefore may have been the increase in the quantity of the precious metals which during the period between the middle of the fourteenth and that of the sixteenth century arose from the increase of wealth and improvement it could have no tendency to diminish their value either in great britain or in any other part of europe if those who have collected the prices of things in ancient times therefore had during this period no reason to infer the diminution of the value of silver from any observations which they had made upon the prices either of corn or of other commodities they had still less reason to infer it from any supposed increase of wealth and improvement second period but how various soever may have been the opinions of the learned concerning the progress of the value of silver during the first period they are unanimous concerning it during the second from about fifteen seventy to about sixteen forty during a period of about seventy years the variation in the proportion between the value of silver and that of corn held a quite opposite course silver sunk in its real value or would exchange for a smaller quantity of labour than before and corn rose in its nominal price and instead of being commonly sold for about two ounces of silver the quarter or about ten shillings of our present money came to be sold for six and eight ounces of silver the quarter or about thirty and forty shillings of our present money the discovery of the abundant mines of america seems to have been the sole cause of this diminution in the value of silver in proportion to that of corn it is accounted for accordingly in the same manner by everybody and there never has been any dispute either about the fact or about the cause of it the greater part of europe was during this period advancing in industry and improvement and the demand for silver must consequently have been increasing but the increase of the supply had it seems so far exceeding that of the demand that the value of that metal sunk considerably the discovery of the mines of america it is to be observed does not seem to have had any very sensible effect upon the prices of things in england till after fifteen seventy though even the mines of potosi had been discovered more than twenty years before from fifteen ninety five to sixteen twenty both inclusive the average price of the quarter of nine bushels of the best wheat 
at windsor market appears from the accounts of eton college to have been two pounds one shilling six and nine thirteenth pence from which sum neglecting the fraction and deducting a ninth or four shillings seven and one-third pence the price of the quarter of eight bushels comes out to have been one pound sixteen shillings and ten and two-third pence and from this sum neglecting likewise the fraction and deducting a ninth or four shillings one and one-ninth pence for the difference between the price of the best wheat and that of the middle wheat the price of the middle wheat comes out to have been about one pound twelve shillings eight and eight ninth pence or about six ounces and one-third of an ounce of silver from sixteen twenty one to sixteen thirty six both inclusive the average price of the same measure of the best wheat at the same market appears from the same accounts to have been two pound ten shillings from which making the like deductions as in the foregoing case the average price of the quarter of eight bushels of middle wheat comes out to have been one pound nineteen shilling sixpence or about seven ounces and two-thirds of an ounce of silver end of book one chapter eleven part three